reading Genesis 1 in just a moment. You might turn there. It's very easy to find. Page 1. Page 1. Genesis 1. Page 1. Again, we'll read that in a few moments. Beloved in Christ, we've entered the season of Elnt. Where did this quirky transposition error even come from, you might ask? Obviously, I know we've entered the season of Lent. So why are we goofily calling it the season of Elnt this year? To answer that question, we go back months ago to the day one of you, and you know who you are, emailed me about a daily, daily devotional book by Ann Spangler that you'd been reading about the names of God. I'm sure you know there are many names for God that we see when we read our Bibles in both the Old and New Testament, many names. The emailer suggested that I might consider doing a sermon series someday on some of those names of God. Well, after forgetting about that email for a long time, the time came for me to decide what I would be preaching on for the season of Lent. And that email came bopping back out of my subconscious until it was front and center in my mind. Maybe you should consider doing a sermon series on the different names of God. And I thought, I could maybe do a Lenten series on that. So I bought the book, I started reading, and realized again that quite a few of the names of God that we are introduced to in the Bible all start with those letters right there on that banner. You've got Hebrew letters and an English transliteration of those Hebrew letters right on top of each other. So the Hebrew there on the top, which reads from right to left, opposite of how we read, we have what looks like a fancy letter N, that is the letter Aleph in Hebrew, which is kind of a silent letter or technically a glottal stop for you linguists, which we can't really pronounce because it's so far back in the throat. But we stick an E vowel, those are the two dots with it, and it's all good. The second letter, which looks like an upside-down upside profile of, of someone's nose, if you turn your heads and look, doesn't it? Yeah. It is the letter Lamed, which sounds a lot like our letter L. And so we pronounce this word in Hebrew, L. L. It's a name that back in Canaanite days, the place to which Israel was traveling after being rescued from Egyptian slavery, the land of Canaan, the promised land, was a name for one of their Canaanite gods, the main one, L, who was often pictured as a bull with horns signifying strength. It was a name that Israel, via Moses, borrowed and used to refer to the one true God. It was the name the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to use when he wrote under the Spirit's inspiration the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, say them with me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. El is a name for God we encounter a lot in the Bible. More than 200 times it's in there. But the longer version, Elohim, you run into that name for God over 2,500 times. Elohim. And notably, in the initial creation account, chapter 1 and the first three verses of chapter 2, Elohim is encountered 35 times in the original Hebrew. 
if you didn't think the Bible is all about God, who God is, what God is doing, then maybe over 2,500 uses of the name Elohim will convince you. And you saw on your bulletin front cover, if you'd turn there a moment, a teardrop. Because why wouldn't we use a teardrop during Lent to symbolize our sorrow over sin and God's sorrow over our sin and God's sorrow over what he knew his son must do for our sin, that is, go to the cross to pay for our sin and bring us salvation? Why wouldn't all those names for God be included in a teardrop for Lent? You see in that teardrop 26 different names for God. There's multiple currencies, of course. Those aren't all the names by any stretch of the imagination. There are many more, but it's enough for a half a year's worth of devotions in Spangler's book. You see those names transliterated into English in that teardrop. You see the name Elohim, I hope, big and bold at the top, and you see it starts with E-L, L, as do at least six other Hebrew names for God for a total of seven, and I'm preaching exactly seven times for this series for Lent. Five Sundays, then Monday, Thursday, then Easter Sunday, which is not technically part of Lent, but that's okay. Lo and behold, Anne Spangler's book included seven names for God that began with E-L, L. There are more, but she chose seven. Seven sermons, seven names for God that begin with L. So why then wouldn't we this year call it the season of Elnt, E-L-N-T, instead of Lent? Maybe you're totally confused by now. Maybe you're thinking it's still a little goofy, and maybe you're just thinking, man, this is going to be a long sermon and we still have communion to take. If you're thinking anything other than this Elton sermon series is going to be really cool, well, then you can blame the person who emailed me months ago. Keep everything you just heard in mind as we read now the first 34 verses of God's word where Elohim is mentioned 35 times. It's all about the one true God, you see. And incidentally, I'm going to add the three times where the translators just substituted the word he because it seemed a little redundant. I'm adding it and calling it God. Kids, you can count the names if you want. Listen for 35. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called sea, and God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the nights. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that God has done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved, in Hebrew... God's word begins like this, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, the prepositional phrase Bereshit, then created the verb bara, then the one doing the action, Elohim, God. In the beginning, God created. Elohim, see it begins with El, the word does, but added to it is Ohim, which turns that God noun plural. Elohim is plural, but bara, create, is a singular verb. In other words, it's supposed to take another form when it is used with a plural subject, but 
Bara is singular. We expect there to be a singular subject with it. We have a grammatical conundrum in the first three words of the Bible, mind you. Elohim is plural. Is it God's created then? No, it's not. It's more along the lines of this. He is the God of all gods, the greatest God, the highest God, the one true God. And this God of gods created, this God created everything. The Judeo-Christian God is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. We say the Jewish religion as well as Christianity, is monotheistic, one God. Why was that important? Because wherever Moses and the people of Israel had been, and wherever they were going to, what did they run into? Polytheism. People who believed in many gods, and those people, the Egyptians, and then the Canaanites, described the creation of the world by talking about many gods, a pantheon of gods, and their creation explanations included elaborate stories of the exploits of their gods, how they fell in love and had their love affairs, and how they reproduced and fought wars, and eventually the earth and the heavens were somehow shaped into the creation we now see before us. But Moses, in writing this true creation account, he received from the Holy Spirit, slams the door closed on pagan pantheism. He laid it out with polytheism, excuse me. He laid it out with a one God creation account punch. Moses tells us one God created. And how did he do it? He spoke. He spoke his word. He spoke the creation into existence. He uttered his word and creation was. Creation came to be. Creation appeared. I tell my 12th grade catechism class what has been taught for centuries. God created the world out of nothing. Ex nihilo. I tell them there was no Home Depot for God to shop at for raw materials. God spoke. Elohim spoke. The one true and only God spoke, and there it was. And he declared it good. What we ought to hear when we hear the name Elohim is that God is mighty creator. God spoke, creation came to be. That's how powerful he was, is, and always will be. Let's think about that creation account. This beautiful depiction is not a science book. Neither it is, uh, is it concerned with answering the when question. How long did it take? Six literal days? Days and ages? A large gap between chapter 1 and chapter 2? A literary framework for long periods of time? No, this beautiful account is a depiction, is a depiction of God in God's timing. These are God's work days, as Kent Hughes eloquently puts it. This this beautiful depiction of God speaking the world into being is concerned not about the when, not about the time frame. It's zeroed in on the who of creation. 35 times the who is mentioned. And the who is God. Elohim, one true God. God did it. God alone created 
what an account it is. As each day goes by, the first three, what is happening? God is forming. The Spirit of God is hovering over a formless, empty void in anticipation, fluttering in anticipation, waiting for the thought and will of Elohim to signal the start. Ready, set, go. Day one, let there be light. And there it was. And immediately God forms it, separates it from the darkness. God bathes the world in his own light, puts it exactly where he wants it, steps back, calls it good. The first of seven benedictions of God, admiring his work, it's good. And lest we forget, the polytheistic religions are dismissed without even a mention. The pagan gods of light and darkness are brushed away. Day two, let there be a vault, an expanse of firmament, uh, uh, an atmosphere separating the waters below from the waters above, and now there is blue sky and clouds. God spoke it into being and told it where to go, and another slam dunk against the polytheism of the Canaanite and Egyptian mythologies. God naming these things, naming them day, night, sky, showing his dominion, his authority, sovereignty, majesty, Elohim, and Elohim alone will name the creation. And again, the pagan gods of sky and sea are brushed away as if they didn't even exist. God steps back and admires what he has spoken and put into position where he wants it, forms it, calls it good. Day three, Elohim speaking and forming continue. More and more order brought to the chaos. Form brought to the formless. He speaks and dry ground appears and he forms it, putting it where it needs to be, names it land, names the water, the sea, and the polytheistic gods swept away once more. Elohim did this, Elohim alone, and God speaks vegetation and trees into existence. Here he not only forms, he begins to fill his creation, as Kent Hughes writes. And now here the pagan gods of earth and vegetation, the gods of fertility, are powerfully dismissed. There is no sea god, only seas that God controls, and the harvest and the earth that he is sovereign over. The creation is ready to be inhabited by animals, animate, moving life. God has spoken and formed everything where it needs to be and declares it good. We'll stop there for a second. Are you stuck yet on that plural name, Elohim? It's plural. New Testament teaches us that it's not just a name that, that means God of all gods. No. It means that, surely. But we are taught this one true God is also triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ, we are taught in the New Testament, was present at this creation. It was made through him. Elohim, plural, three persons in one God. Christ also did that forming, that moving of the world from chaos to order. Christ formed the creation, brought order to it. How about you? Bring it home. Are you right now 
in a chaotic darkness in your life? Does your life feel dark and desolate, formless, no hope, broken? Ever feel that way? Even right now? Christ, Elohim, can bring shape and form to your life, can bring order from the chaos surrounding your life. He did it at creation. His creation power can recreate your life. We know it's true because of the creation and because of the cross and resurrection. He did it for an entire creation. He can do that for you. He can reorder your life, bring light to your darkness, just as he formed creation in these first three days. Let the filling begin as we come upon day four now. The second three days, in perfect correspondence to the first three days. Day one, light and darkness are formed. They need filling. Let there be lights in the heaven then to separate day and night. Greater light for the day, lesser light for the night. Notice, neither is mentioned by name. Why would Moses, directed by the Holy Spirit, give any sort of credit to the Egyptian polytheistic pantheon of gods by actually mentioning the names of their gods? Sun god Ra, moon god Kansu, oh, they all had names. Not here. Just greater light and lesser light. And those pagan gods are deftly brushed away once more. The sky now filled. Elohim declares it good. Day five, God filled up the waters below with fish and other creatures, the waters above, the vault, the atmosphere, with birds, both now teeming with creatures. Elohim has spoken into existence and then filled each place appropriately. He declares it good. Day six, Elohim speaks the animals into existence. God filled up the land with animals, with wild and domesticated animals. The land is now filled. Imagine years later, years later, the dismay for Moses when he comes down from Mount Sinai. You know the story, Ten Commandments in hand, and sees the Israelites worshiping a golden calf, mind you, worshiping a calf domesticated animal that Elohim created. It's no wonder Moses threw the tablets down in anger. Of course, day six isn't over. There is consultation, conference, and finally command within the Godhead Elohim, and human beings are created, and they too must fill the creation. They, of course, are the only part of creation made in the image of Elohim, but they too are created by a single word from God. As the forming in days one, two, and three deftly brushed aside the many-god religion of the pagan nations, days four, five, and six did the same. The pagan gods of light, darkness, sky, sea, earth, fertility, vegetation, sun, moon, stars, the animal kingdom are all silently whisked away. Even creation's crown, human beings, it turns out, are not to be worshipped. They are not divine either. The truth of one God creating has dismissed this false polytheism of Moses' day in its entirety. 
as Elohim filled up the world he formed, and it was all very good, he declared. Think of it, the formless and empty, the two words describing it, tovu and bohu, as the Hebrew says, formless, empty. The formless and empty creation is now formed and filled. Formed and filled instead of formless and empty. Again, we have to ask, what about you? What about us? Just as Jesus Christ can form your life by bringing you from chaos to order and bringing light to your darkness, maybe you're feeling empty right now. Could it be that the one God who filled up the world can also fill you? Jesus is Elohim. Jesus surely can fill you up with what you need. Is it comfort? Is it grace? Is it meaning? Is it purpose? Is it forgiveness? Maybe you're empty right now. Jesus can fill you with whatever you need. This is for sure. As sure as he filled up the world at creation, he can fill you up. For this same God, Jesus, went to the cross and died for you that you might be filled with him. And then God raised him from the dead that you might be filled with eternal life. Finally, of course, is the beautiful day of rest where we are told God rested from his work of creation, but God, of course, never stopped working. God provides, God sustains, God empowers, God forgives. And dear beloved brother or sister in Christ, we have to say one thing more. Elohim not only formed the world and so forms us. Elohim not only filled the world and so fills us. Elohim also never forsakes. God never forsakes you. Maybe because, of, maybe because of some circumstance or because of some sin you're struggling with, it seems as if God has indeed forsaken you. The truth of Elohim, let it be clear, speaks to us today. You are not forsaken by him. How can that be? How can we say that's true? How do we know? Because of Jesus, always because of Jesus. Jesus on the cross spoke this name, didn't he? A form of this name for God, Elohim. He shouted words from Psalm 22 while he hung on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. A shortened form, a related, contracted form of Elohim. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, a person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. Jesus, the Son of God, who is in Elohim. But for those moments on the cross, he was forsaken by God. As the punishment for our sins was endured by him, Jesus was forsaken by God. Elohim was forsaken by Elohim so that never, never, never would Elohim forsake you and me. Elohim forms you, fills you. He's God, the mighty creator. And for those who trust in him, Elohim will never forsake you. Let your season of Elnt begin there.
with that glorious truth. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you tell us right off the bat it's you. You created this world. You and only you. No other gods that are non-existent. You spoke and created this world. You formed it. You filled it. And we're so thankful that you do the same for us. When our lives are in chaos, in shambles, you form them through Jesus. And when we're going through life empty, wondering what is it we even have to live for, we're empty, devoid of anything in our lives. You fill us. You fill us with what we need. Grace, forgiveness, love, peace. You fill us. And Lord God, Elohim, because of Jesus, we praise you that you also never forsake us. Praise God. Praise Elohim. Praise you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.